I think it's a pretty well-known fact to you and to all regular Joag listeners that I have a deep and abiding love for bodies of water. Coupled Shut with, up, you coupled with, I think, a healthy fear of them. Okay. It's a it's a mix of both. I love water. Mm. I'm also scared of it. Uh, I've also always been fascinated by stories of adventure met with peril. I don't want to personally nearly die climbing Everest or searching the Amazon for the lost city of Z, but I will 100% be a spectator to someone else doing it. Yes. As such, one of the topics that's always captured me is folks who got on big ships for years-long expeditions to explore inhospitably cold places humans have no business being, namely the Arctic and the Antarctic, the Poles. Well. I share, I share that, and you know, I haven't spoken about it on the cast in a while. But you know how endlessly entertained I am by tales of people getting themselves in bother when it's entirely their own fucking fault. Right, exactly. You should never have been doing that in the first place, you fucking idiot. And now yep. you come to me, oh no, my fucking family have drowned. It's your own fucking <laughs> fault, isn't it? You right. should have been on the ship in the fucking fourteen hundreds or whatever. Right, exactly. Like, use your <sighs> brain. You know, yeah. but I want to hear about it. Like, people need to do this stuff so oh. that then I can read about it or yes. watch a documentary on it or things like that. And learn from it. Sure. Well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I uh, learn not to do that. I don't do much learning. <laughs> now, another thing about me, Mark, mm. is that I love a maritime museum. Mm. My favorite kind of museum, hands down. They never disappoint go to whatever maritime museum is closest uh, to you is right is there only is, is there like a ceiling on the amount of new stuff you can learn in a maritime museum no absolutely not because here's the thing about maritime museums wherever they are mm. have their own specific Fine. like maritime history right Fine. like i went to one that was very specifically about uh it was the um, Astoria Bar Museum, I think it was called. And it was specifically about one bar, like a sandbar or whatever, or like it, it's a feature underwater that makes it very difficult for ships to cross from right. one place to another. And it was an entire museum dedicated to this one bar on the Columbia and all the ships that had wrecked there and like how mm. you cross these kinds of things and the training that pilots go through. They're specifically called bar pilots to get there. So listen, what I'm saying is there is no limit on <laughs> how much you can learn at a maritime museum because everyone you go to, that body of water has its mm. own set of shit that has like killed people and yeah, stuff like well that. Yes, I guess every every local kind of niche sand trap has claimed its share of local victims, right. hasn't it? Exactly. Fine. Yeah, so they're a lot of fun. Uh, and when I was uh, in the UK last April, I went to the phenomenal National Maritime Museum in Greenwich. Bruh. Incredible museum. It's huge. Uh, just... The collection is immense. I learned, I had no idea who Lord Nelson was. I'd heard the oh, name yeah. before, but there is an insane collection about Lord Nelson. I learned why New York was called New Amsterdam from there. Uh -huh. I saw the suit that Lord Nelson died in. Ooh. Great place. <clears throat> and, uh, and it is also home to some 400 artifacts from one of the most famous doomed expeditions of all time. 
the Franklin Expedition. So if you've read or watched The Terror, you'll be familiar with a fictionalized version of the story. Are you laughing at me? No, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> laughing at you. I am delighting in watching you absolutely exude enthusiasm so and passion excited. for a subject. I am that isn't very laughing. This passionate. Is, I'm okay. being caught up in your wave is what, I'm, okay. is what I'm, is what's happening. All right, I'll take that. Right. <laughs> so I am, yeah, I think visibly excited about this. Well, you're perspiring. <laughs> it's just my leaky eyeball. <laughs> um, <laughs> More on which later, I'm sure. <laughs> if you've read or watched The Terror, you'll be familiar with a fictionalized version of the story. And it's a story you can do a lot with fictionally because... Well, we have no idea yes. what the fuck happened. Yep. That's why boat core is such fertile ground, isn't it? Because right. when you're out there, mate, worse things happen at sea. And that is a broad, you know, <laughs> worse things. That's all you need to depict. Yeah, exactly that. Um, but only in the past decade have we even had access to the most important pieces of the puzzle to try to figure it out. The actual ships. HMS Erebus and HMS Terror. <laughs> hmm. So today... I'm going to tell you what we do know about Sir John Franklin's ill-fated adventure to cross the Northwest Passage and how we know it. Nice. Okay. During this tale, are you going to give us any insight into why the fuck they call that boat the Terror? <laughs> As opposed to, you know, the good times or the fucking HMS. Yeah. You know, honestly... <laughs> I'm not Russell. entirely sure. It did not come up in... And as you know, I used 22 sources for this and none of them you explained did. that um, however one did also go on to define Erebus, Erebus yeah. which also has is something to do with like the road to Hades or something Fuck like sake. that so Talk both about of a, the what's the word uh, nominative fucking determinism is that what it's <laughs> right? called yeah exactly 100 <laughs> percent um a little bit of oh, self right. yeah right <laughs> a little bit of self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy going on in the names of these boats here i don't know i i assume this is what it, like the terror is probably supposed to be like i don't know like the terror Badass. of the sea right like yeah, it's supposed to be yeah, 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 yeah. it's like you know in pirates of the caribbean sexy. it's like the dauntless yeah yes. like you're like ooh, this is a, a message to other people yeah yeah, uh, yeah. But it ended up being a message to themselves. Well, you, get, you fucking you 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 get the energy you put out into the world. Is all right, I'll say. exactly. Uh, so, shall we begin then? Let's do it. And as you quote sources, I'm going to be counting them down like the fucking count of Sesame Street. Twenty-one <laughs> sources. Ah, ah, ah. They're not. I didn't quote all of them in here. I just oh, okay, used okay, okay. twenty-two sources to parse together all the pieces or maybe like, of this. So solid crew. You got twenty-one sources to go. You got twenty-one sources to go. Go on. Sure. <laughs> Cut that bit. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. It was May 19th, 1845, when Erebus and Terror set off under the command of Sir John Franklin to find the elusive Northwest Passage, yep. which was basically a, a route no one had yet fully discovered yet, but everyone was pretty sure existed and would make it so that ships could pass from the Atlantic to the Pacific via the arctic i remember this clearly from the show the show did this bit justice oh really okay i yeah. you know i read the book in mm. 2008 i did not like it 
is a long 900 page slog. Uh, mm. But I did not. Uh, I only watched like two episodes of the show and then being the person I am just kind of forgot about it. But the first season of the show was terrific. I was fucking <laughs> properly gripped. Yeah. It's, you know how I am with those things. I'm like, I, I need like constant stimulation. Those little slow burns are a little difficult for me. Uh, Plus, but I, I've heard I'm, only great things. I'm a big man boner for Jared Harris. I love him. Oh, same. Lord. I mean, I think I've raved on here about Lane Price at least <laughs> once before. Yep, my yep, yep. absolute favorite character from Mad Men. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I did look up the Northwest Passage because I realized as I was reading about this that I'd honestly only ever heard of the Northwest Passage in regards to people failing to find it. Uh, uh, so I was see. like, is there a Northwest Passage? Or Yes, the elusive uh, Northwest Passage. Yes, it mm. does exist. They, and, and they were on the path of the Northwest Passage. Um, it's a bunch of waterways through the Canadian Arctic archipelago. And it was actually a Norwegian by the name of Roald Amundsen, who would eventually be the first to make it all the way from east to west across the Northwest Passage in an expedition that lasted from 1903 to 1906. So to be clear, it's another 60 years after Franklin's expedition for anyone to finally conquer this beast of a waterway. <clears throat> and what, okay, so what made it such a bitch to, ice. to It's ice. straight right. up okay, ice. Okay, 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 that okay. is, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not like you're not getting attacked by whales or anything mm. like that. It is simply super fucking icy. So it's like, it's basically just like a series of inlets and things mm. like that. And every inlet that you're going through has a ton of ice and ice features and it's always trying to lock I you see. into it so that yep. is what made that um so difficult to cross uh and to me like at this point it's like they've been by the time we get like uh Roald Amundsen getting there it's been four centuries that people have been trying to cross the Northwest Passage which to me would indicate maybe it's not worth it <laughs> like like okay mm. we want to like telling that find to this a fucking mariner for, though right we want to find this route for trade. It's like a red rag to a okay. bull. I'll yeah. be the one. Yeah, I'm going to be the guy. Mm. Um, but it, yeah, it eventually ended up basically being an underwater highway for submarines during the Cold War. That's like the most useful thing it was really used for. Um, and now, thanks to global warming, it's actually not that treacherous to cross. Uh, yes. So, hey, go us. Uh, I'm sure John Franklin would be proud. We conquered the Northwest Passage, all right, but not right. how they wanted no. <laughs> we were going to get cost? there somehow. <laughs> anyway, May of 1845, like I said, Franklin and 134 crew members, which would eventually become 129 when five lucky bastards were discharged early, set off in search of this fabled crossing between the Atlantic and the Pacific. Franklin was not the first choice to lead this expedition, nor was he even really on the radar for that matter, despite the fact that he'd already been on three trips to the Arctic previously as a commander on two of those ventures. For political reasons, though, his rep was in the dumpster after a catastrophic stint as governor of Tasmania, which is called Van Diemen's Land at the time. But his wife, Lady Jane Franklin, who was by every account a fucking badass, was like, Nah, you ain't going out like that. And began working to re rehabilitate his shattered image. So she lobbied hard for her husband to be sent out on this expedition. And while five dudes were asked before him, eventually he got the job. It's honestly kind of ironic how, pr how hard these folks worked to ultimately send him to his death. 
I seem to remember that was covered in the show as well, the politicking mm. and the machinations that got him yeah. that gig. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's not like he didn't know how precarious his life would be on the voyage. On one mm. of his previous jaunts to the Arctic, he'd had to resort to eating his shoe leather to survive, garnering him the nickname, The Man Who Ate His Boots. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right there, buddy. <laughs> not creative at all, no, that name. Not in the slightest. It's like, but there's something like more galling about like a, a nickname like that. It's almost like, you know, how kids will yeah. will just yeah. be like, you know, okay, t-shirt. And you're like, oh, I am wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> you know, like something about it being straightforward makes it more insulting. I must tell you later about the cruelest nickname I was ever witness to in school. Fuck me. So cruel. You're not going to say it now. Oh, I can do. So uh, this was not me, right? And I'm not just fucking saying that. It was not me. Uh, but a girl in my year uh, had awful skin, right? Eczema. Oh, no. Just terrible, terrible eczema. Uh, which led to her being christened Teddy Roughskin. Aww. That is terrible. It's, it should, but, it's just like so cute and yeah. so awful. Yeah, awful. Anyway, sorry. The man who ate his boots. Oh, man I who ate his boots. Time. Fuck. <laughs> Factually accurate. Yeah. It's not a thing I do, guys. <laughs> it's just one fucking time. I'm a skilled <laughs> seaman. Hey, but in comparison to what some of his crewmen would end up shoe. having. <laughs> sorry. In comparison to what some of his crewmen would end up having to eat later on, though. Boots mm. maybe aren't so bad, mm -mm -mm. but we'll get there. Now, these ships were kitted out as far as mid-19th century maritime situations go. According to the New York Times, quote, the ships were former bomb vessels that had been refitted with iron plating, furnaces, and steam engines. They carried the latest magnetic surveying instruments and were provisioned for three years, with the ship's manifest listing 32,289 pounds of preserved meat, 1,008 pounds of raisins, and 580 gallons of pickles. Also aboard were 2,000 books, a hand organ, and a daguerreotype. Nice. This, this ship also had... camera? Yeah, it's a type of camera, right. exactly mm -hmm. that. Um, the ship had, like, a state-of-the-art steam heating system that wouldn't exactly keep the ship piping hot, but would be much more comfortable than most sailors would have been accustomed to. And all of this is important because these journeys were long, as in years. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is truly hard to wrap my head around. Like, think about this. We were going absolutely bonkers in lockdown for a year and a half or whatever, right? <laughs> but if we were 19th century Arctic explorers, we'd have been on a boat with not but books and pickles basically for as long as this podcast has been going. <laughs> just just sort of wrap your mind around that. Fuck you, Nell. Yeah, I, I'd be the first to go ape shit. I'd be the first to get like sea <laughs> right. fever. Exactly, one hundred percent. Trying to drink seawater. And <laughs> it's like we have plenty of water on board, Mark. <laughs> Shut up! I have to do uh, this. It burns. <laughs> Franklin, for his part, was pretty pleased with himself for how prepared he'd made the ships for the journey. Uh, for example, he'd contracted with a man called Stephen Goldner, who had some sort of impressive canning technology that would allow him to can up to eight or can up eight thousand tins of food, which should have kept them in canned meat for about three years. 
The thing is, that contract was only finalized less than two months before the ship set sail, causing Goldner maybe to have done a shoddy rush job that may account at least in part for the fate of the crew. But again, we'll get there. For now, what we can say for the expedition is that it was being undertaken on the best equipped, most state-of-the-art ship out there. Ships out there. So everyone was pretty optimistic about their chances of breaking through the Northwest Passage. About two months into the journey, the two ships were seen by a pair of whaling vessels east of the entrance to the Northwest Passage in Baffin Bay. And then they were never seen by white people again. And I make that specification here because there's one very stupid detail that explains part of why what happened was a mystery for over a century and a half. And that's pretty much that the British government couldn't be arsed to listen to indigenous people. Pretty much everything we now know comes from later searchers actually talking to the Inuit, who had been telling the story of what happened ever since the ships went down. They saw the struggling sailors before they died. Uh, they saw them pulling the ships with ropes. <laughs> they saw where the ships sank. They freely offered this information, and the British government was like, Psh, fuck off. <laughs> so, there's that. Yeah, um, believable. Believable. Yep, some things are on brand. Um, yes. It's just it's just a wild thing to think about. Like you know, all these people are telling you, like, hey, you know, we like we know where your guys oh, are, and guys. they're just like, yeah, yeah. Mm, just, nah, too brown. Just saw them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, so some whalers see them head off, and then no one hears from them again. They'd sent off their last letters to their families earlier from the Orkneys, where they'd also slaughtered some oxen for more meat. And then that's their the last of their communication, which I guess is weird. I don't know. I don't understand how mail worked on boats. And I always find this like, you yes, know, they're always point. like, oh, they sent back letters from blah, 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 blah. And you're like, but they were on a ship in the middle of nowhere. How did those get back? So I don't know how they were expected to communicate, uh, um, but they should have know. apparently. That feels like something you you would have yeah. come up with. One, listen. One of your twenty-two sources not fucking shared that. Any I only had so much time, Mark. I can't dive into every <laughs> little rabbit hole my mind takes me down. Next I have week, ADHD. Four-hour special on old world maritime <laughs> postal Mail. techniques. Yes, exactly. Tune in for that yes. one, folks. This is that'll be our our snack for this month. Corey explains the postal system. Listen, I also went to that postal museum in London, which was a gas as well. I got to but dress when, up like a train conductor. When did the bit stop and we go back to facts? What? You did go to a postal museum. I did. All oh, right, okay. I did do that. Okay, that was fine, not I a thought, joke. That's thought. a thing I did. <laughs> I feel like, you know, you've gotten to know me very well over the past three years, but sometimes it still surprises you just how much of a nerd I am. Uh, it surprises and delights me. <laughs> so, yeah, um, no word was sent back uh, when there should have been. Um, but by 1848, uh, when the crew would surely be running short on food, it became clear that word was not coming at all. Lady J Jane Franklin was rightfully stressed out by this, so she went to the Navy and was like, hey, you gotta start looking for my dude. They were not in a rush to do that, uh, but she was dogged in her resolve to find her husband, going so far as to write to the U.S. President, Zachary Taylor, for help, 
uh, get Charles Dickens campaigning for her. Uh, the and Charles to, Dickens. The Charles Dickens was <laughs> invested in this uh, and to fund her own expeditions, which was deeply unheard of. You weren't supposed to bypass diplomatic channels with the British government and take matters into your own hands. And in doing so, she forced theirs. Eventually, they sent out over 40 search expeditions, all to no avail, until 1850, when some grim evidence that things had not gone well emerged. On a frigid and barren stretch of land called Beachy Island, they found evidence that the crew had made an encampment. Central to this evidence was the presence of three graves, those of crewmen John Torrington, William Brain, and John Hartnell. Those graves are still there, by the way, although the bleh, although the bronze placards on them are recreations of the original ones. Uh, there's some great pictures of them on Atlas Obscura, and I guess you could theoretically visit them, but I don't think Beachy Island is any less desolate and uninhabited now than it was then. In in kind of modern geography, what what land is this? What what this? So we're yeah, we're talking the Canadian Arctic archipelago right. so it's okay, just off okay, of okay. it's one of those little islands that the inlets are going through um mm. in the north of canada um and uh you can also see the amazingly preserved corpses in full color all over the internet uh because of the permafrost beneath which they which they were buried they are mm. remarkably intact nothing eating at them nothing breaking down and decomposing their bodies or their clothes it, they look dead, clearly. Their mouths are all stretched out and stuff like that. But you can see who they were, you know? <laughs> like, they look like people. They are, they're mummies, essentially. Mm. All just naturally from the permafrost. This has also allowed researchers to be able to, like, take DNA um, and, you know, sort of Start look at their contents. bones yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah, all yeah. kinds of stuff to try to get a sense of what was going on with them. <clears throat> But they find these graves of these sailors in 1850. And then in 1859, at another site known as Victory's Point on King William Island, they find two handwritten messages scrawled on a single admiralty form. One was written in May of 1847 and was just like, things are chill, Franklin's in charge, we're doing our thing. But the second, written in April of 1848, explains that 24 people, including Franklin, had died and that the ship had been trapped in ice for the past 19 months, causing the crew to eventually abandon the ships. The note explains that they're planning to walk back to a place called Backsfish River. And as a side note, it's kind of bonkers that the April of 1847 letter was like, yep, all well, despite having been stuck in ice since September of 1846. And considering, according to the second letter, Franklin died just two weeks later on June 11th of 1847. Ugh. So shit apparently went south slowly and then mm. real quick. Yeah, the drop off <laughs> like, was steep. Yeah, I'm guessing that like to a degree they must expect to be stuck in ice. Sure. You know, like this is just part of the process. We're going to be stuck in ice for a while and then we'll break through it and everything will be good. But after 19 months, they were like, well, shit, we're not getting out of this. Uh, and One they day, tried to... It's Walk pickles, away. next day it's shoes. Exactly. Or worse, as we'll get to. <laughs> as expeditions continued, other bits and pieces were discovered, like a couple skeletons, things that had belonged to the crew, a sled, and various letters. Although the guys weren't necessarily the most literate fellows on the planet, and those letters were somewhat difficult to decipher, 
Uh, and for some reason, some of them were written backwards, causing people to at what? first think they were written in German. Yeah, just fully backwards. We have no idea why, because obviously we can't ask them what happened. Uh, someone was just writing backwards. Of 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 all of this so far, that has properly caught my imagination. What the fuck yeah, was going on weird, on the terror right? that day? <laughs> yeah, right. Did someone's like mind just sort of break and they started doing that, or maybe you know it seemed like it was sort of like a journal entry of some sort. So maybe to keep other people from reading it, they wrote backwards or something like that. Like, no, I'm not expecting you to know, but backwards mm. by word or backwards by letter, because. Like by letter, so like as in like if it said the, it would say e h t, and then yeah, mm. so everything completely backwards, very wild. Um, but nothing that was found really gave much of a picture of what happened. Uh, it was again the Inuits who were able to fill in some of the blanks, which were gruesome. For example, Inuits pointed Scottish explorer John Ray to piles of human bones that had been cracked in half. A telltale sign of cannibalisms. Animals don't snap bones in half generally. Humans do to get at the marrow inside of it. And indeed, as remains have been recovered since the 1980s, we've seen evidence that, yep, them folks was eating each other. Mm -hmm. Researchers found knife marks on bones recovered from King William Island. And more recent analysis published in the International Journey of Journal of Osteology in 2015 found that not only had bones been broken, but heated meaning that the crewmen had probably cooked the bones to try to get that marrow out. Mm. This shows just how desperate they were because they would have already eaten whatever meat they could have gotten off the corpses before engaging in what's called end-stage cannibalism, oh, resorting no. to getting up into the bones. Oh. <laughs> not not great. I, again, you know, never before had I even considered that there are there's a scale of cannibalism. Yeah, apparently that, like, Phases of cannibalism are oh. an absolute thing. There's multiple of them. And this is just the, yeah, you the last part is end stage cannibalism. I've got my cold open for next week. <laughs> I'll look forward to it. Mm. You know, that's a favorite of mine. <laughs> so late 20th century researchers who came across these remains ran all kinds of tests on the bodies to try to see if they could tell us anything about why all these men died aside from, you know, being stuck in ice. And one of the things that they found initially was... In the three corpses buried on Beachy Island, high amount of lead. Now, can you think of what might have happened that I mentioned before, Mark? High amounts of lead in the deceased. Mm -hmm. So let's have a think. <laughs> uh, help me out. It was the rush canning job. Oh, fuck. Potentially. Mm. Uh, it's posited that under pressure to get the order filled in just seven weeks, the cans were poorly soldered shut, letting lead seep into the contents of the cans. Apparently, they found a can or various cans that looked like they had been shoddily put together, along with finding lead in the bones. And we've talked extensively about the effects of lead before, but just as a reminder... Symptoms include abdominal pain and vomiting, constipation, hearing loss, seizures, fatigue, weight loss, loss of appetite, irritability, difficulty with memory and concentration, joint and muscle pain, and mood disorders. And that's on top of being fucking stuck, stuck. in ice flows. <laughs> right. 
So if, in fact, the crew were ingesting lead-contaminated meat, they would be cranky, in pain, struggling to concentrate, and potentially developing mood disorders that would make them act horribly toward each other. Or write journal entries backwards. Or write journal entries backwards, right. That said, this theory is disputed. Uh, mm. More recent tests using con confocal X-ray fluorescence imaging didn't find as much lead in the bones and found the distribu distribution of lead in the bones to be inconsistent with a concentration that would be especially dangerous or lethal. Mm. These scientists think it's more likely that they died the good old-fashioned way folks would die at sea in conditions like this. Freezing and starving with a touch of the old scurvy mixed in. But a lot of what we know comes from an Inuit oral historian named uh, named Louis Kamuhak, who realized that stories he had heard passed down in his youth seemed like they might offer some clues to what happened to the Franklin expedition. <laughs> so he dug into that oral history and compared it with what records we do have of the journey. And lo and behold, in 2014, he was able to point Canadian archaeologists to the location of the ships like precisely right there right there the inuits had known all along and by simply probing what they passed down he was able to use their knowledge to solve a 150 year old mystery isn't that fucking it's, wild yeah, it's, it's 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 superb yeah <laughs> it's it's hard to express how monumental this was inuits didn't have written language at the time of the franklin expedition they just were really good at passing down oral history. And, uh, well, as author point, uh, Paul Watson points out, a lot of politicians and academics like to pay lip service to traditional knowledge. Be like, oh, yes, we, we totally acknowledge that they have their own way of telling mm -hmm. things. And it's just as good as ours. They don't really take it seriously when it comes down to it. And yet, after more than a century, an indigenous historian found the exact location of these ships by doing just that, taking the oral history and tradition seriously. Listening to it, yeah. Bonkers to what a think concept. about. Right? Incredible stuff. Where are the ships now? Or are you going to get there? I, I just... I am about to get there, but yes, they are still there, still where they found them. Still off right there. Of, yeah, right where they were left in Canada. Uh, in underwater footage of the terror shot since the wreck was discovered, you can see that much like the mummified crewmen, the ship is remarkably intact with desks and file cabinets still in place, layers of silt covering shelves of items that barely moved from where they'd been placed. Oh, now that is something to see, isn't it? Yeah, right? Uh, the sleeping quarters are left just as if the sailors were coming back to them. Uh, and as such, researchers and archaeologists are hopeful that records will be able to be recovered from the ship, uh, as well as the daguerreotype that was brought along on the journey. They've done this before, finding daguerreotypes underwater. They are able to then like develop mm. the, the plates later on so they're hoping that would be there which again would be wild we might actually be able to see images taken aboard terror and erebus all that time ago um it is of course <laughs> complicated to extract items from the shipwreck without destroying them which is why the boats are still there and we have not pulled that yeah, stuff yeah. up it's been nearly a decade since the ships were found and we don't well, have it, those items yet kind of encouraging that that they are still left there in situ and and exactly. you know free of plunderers and fucking looters right. and dickheads. And I didn't even go into this, but one of the 
interesting things about this is that there's like a political element to the finding mm. of this where the Russians were actually going after it at the same time as we were in the 2000s. And it was very important to the US and Canada to get to this before Russia did, which is perhaps in part why they started taking the Inuit testimony more seriously mm. as well. Like if someone can tell us where this is, please do so that Russia doesn't get to it before us, presumably because then you lose, you know, you lose the artifacts, you lose the the chance to, you know, determine what's going to happen to it. It's good that we, um, we hate Russians more than we want to disregard Inuit. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Balanced out mm. uh, who we want to discriminate, discriminate against and Russia came out on top. So there you go. Good job, Inuits. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, there's, you know, as such... It is sitting there being preserved, you know, as it's been preserved all this time. And so they don't want to like rush and be like, no, let's pull everything out of it. And then like destroy documents that have been sitting in there for 150 years, you know, as a result of it. Um, but uh, one day in the near future, <laughs> we might finally know what happened to John Franklin and his men locked in the ice for two years. And through fucking primary evidence as well through actual yes, stuff right. that they touched and fucking slept in and lived on beautiful yeah. beautiful beautiful stuff exactly that and hey mm. people listening to this like i said i used a lot of sources i always put the sources in the description uh of the episode and on our blog jackofallgraves.com slash blog go take a look at them because while we don't have a lot from the franklin expedition what we do have has been sort of meticulously cataloged on the internet. So you can go on the Maritime Museum website and you can look at like the 400 artifacts that they have from there. You can see those mummified corpses. You can see the Victory's Point letter, the handwritten letter, how it was scrawled out. Um, all of this stuff is available to you on the internet and it's in my source list, the video of exploring the terror. It's all there. So I highly recommend checking out the sources on this one you love it cool. don't you i do <laughs> so into it it's so cool ah <laughs> exploration i can't fucking articulate how much i like it let me quote directly from my notes if i may yes please do fucking look at these nerds oh mise-en-scene Anyone has ever said me on set in such a horny way before. The way I whispered the word sex cannibal recently. Worst comes to worst, Mark. I'm willing to guillotine you for science. Thank you. That's really, really sweet. It's cold so, outside, but my pancreas is talking to me. I'm fucking, <laughs> I'm gonna leg it. You know how I feel about that, Mark. I think you feel great about it. All right, all right, all right. Time to settle in. Mm. Time to get fucking comfortable again because... We are back in the fucking routine. We're back in the swing. 2024. It's January. Fuck all is going on. Uh, so what better? What better way to expend some of that January malaise, some of that kind of wondering what the fuck you're going to do with your life, wondering why, you know, you're broke, you're fucking, you know, you're cold. Uh, <laughs> it is cold. It's bleak. It's just, it's perfect. What I'm saying is it's perfect Joag time, isn't it? God, is it? Mark, I am having a terrifying week. I know I, you I'm are. I'm in crisis. I know you week. are, and we're going to address that crisis, and we're Ugh. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna lean into it. We're gonna explore it. We we're are. gonna sit with it. We're mm -hmm. gonna pick it apart. We're gonna deal with it. It's cool, Corrigan. It's fine. We are because we I'm are. here, mm -hmm. and our listeners are here. Yeah. 
you know full well that that we'll do all we can to talk this through. You're going to be fine. We'll talk okay. about what what um uh, uh, crisis aside. Are you good mm. generally? Uh, if I could, if I could share with our listeners, you've 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 kind of got a, a an eye issue, haven't you? You've got a leaking <laughs> eye going on. I do. I have a leaky eye. I don't know why. I don't know if it's an allergy or what. Like it's mostly mostly when I'm outside, but sometimes when I'm inside too, my right eye is just mm. like a constant stream of water, which makes me look like I'm always, well, makes me look like I'm always in crisis, which I am at the moment, but not the kind that would cause me to be crying all the time. Mm. So it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a struggle for me at the time. And it makes my like eye itchy. And so I'm like, I'm trying not to rub it. I'm trying to be a grown up about well, it, you know? When you are in crisis, I am in crisis. And when we are in crisis, our listeners mm. are all in crisis. So one thing you don't have to do is be in this crisis alone because now we're all in it with you. you. Okay? I appreciate that. And we'll talk yeah. it through. We'll talk it through. We'll talk it through. But for now, for this moment in time, I, I just want to say welcome to another fucking fantastic year of Jack of All Graves. Mm. Uh, and uh, now just to just to kind of address, there's an elephant in the room with us. There here, is. Right? Yeah. Now, Corrigan wants to announce the thing. I right? do want to announce the thing so bad. Whoa, you are not going I to announce the thing yet. I want to announce the thing, it's though. too early to announce the thing is yet. Is it too early to announce the thing? Yes, I don't think it, it is. is. We talked about this. But just <gasps> know this. <laughs> but know this, dear listener. Oh, fuck yeah. There's a thing coming, which we're going to be announcing soon. And it... Ah, man, if it's if it's half as cool as it is in my head, it, it kind of I think will be the pinnacle of of the journey so far. One hundred percent agree. Uh, yeah. So sorry to tantalize you like that, but we're you know mm. we're all in this together because I am struggling. Yes, to not tell um, you at the moment, but there is something that I will announce uh, that is not as um, you know exciting, I suppose. Except well, except for all of us Joe Agnards. Listen, a thing that I said at the end of last year was that we are not intentionally ignoring the stuff that's going on uh, in Palestine right now. Like, obviously, if you follow me on social media, you know, that's the thing that I care a lot about. But, you know, as a podcast that addresses dark things and often sort of when huge yeah, things yeah, happen yeah. in society, we address it. Um, it does feel a little weird to not be yes. talking about it or mentioning it at all. So what I want to tell you is that February, we are addressing it and hopefully at the time that we do it will be after a ceasefire has been announced and we are on the road to palestinian liberation but whatever the case we're gonna go on a four-week journey together uh in which i explain to you how we got here um and we're gonna go way back with this uh beginning uh you know kind of with how the u.s and britain uh have been at the center of this um, and why we are where we are and what has been going on over basically centuries of issues here. So, you know, it's going to be uh, informative. Mm. Hopefully it'll also be fun, but also, of course, you know, a little depressing. But that's what we do here. On yes. And for my part, I mean, I I intend to learn some shit. Exactly. Yes. Uh, yes. So yeah, if if it has been conspicuously missing from Jack of all graves, for my part, it's it's through. Look, 
despite this might come as a shock, but I don't enjoy not knowing about shit. And I don't enjoy mm. talking about shit that I don't know about. I don't, right. I don't, I, I, I'm a big advocate of, of the point of view that you don't have to fucking speak. You know, right. if you, you know, you don't have to just fill a fucking gap with silence, if with, with with noise, if you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. It's it's what's the old quote? It's better to stay quiet. No, it's better to stay quiet and be, be thought, thought an idiot, idiot. than <laughs> to speak and remove all doubt. Uh, so in that spirit, in that frame of mind, I go into this fuck this 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 series that you've got in mind in February. It, it's it's time I learned, you know, you know, yeah. and I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, you know, and, and yeah, I want for by the end of February for everyone to understand what's been happening and to not feel too intimidated to, you know, approach it with people and talk about it and feel like, you know, things. And so I have, the library has supplied me with many a tome. I am reading my ass off, uh, and have been for the past, you know, four weeks or so, uh, as I work on putting this together. So if you thought 22 sources, for the story about the boats <laughs> right. was rigorous. Oh, oh Just boy. you wait. Yeah. Just you wait. Uh, the library so see Corey well. coming through the window and they're like, oh, fuck. Oh, God. She's back. <laughs> Batten down the Middle East section. Here she comes. Get the sources ready. She's here. <laughs> now that you've pointed out, I can't stop noticing that it does sound like you're saying sauces. Well, yeah, they're the same word in my, in my accent. I know uh, it's... This is just, I've never noticed it before. Uh, to demonstrate my academic are. rigor, I quote a sauce. If my dinner is a little dry, I will add a sauce. <laughs> These are the same, phonetically the same word. Did you ever read the book, The Phantom Tollbooth? Ooh. Uh, it rings a bell, but I couldn't say that I have. And it's phenomenal. I feel like... Why did you... Think you're... Where was the, the leap there? Where was uh, the I'll tell you. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I will explain where my thinking came from. Uh, I think your kids are probably still of the age that they would enjoy. I mean, I've reread it several times as a grown adult and I still love it. But um, mm. part of, so the book is about a kid who sort of journeys into this fantasy land of sorts uh, where he meets all of these various um, people and creatures and whatnot that are like basically all personifications of plays on words um so you know meeting a character that's the dodecahedron right like a 12-sided die (laughs) or uh you know uh like basically all these kinds of things that have like these various plays on words and double meanings and all of that kind of stuff um as he's journeying through this land and it's like it's super delightful um Mm. and you know you're sauce and source thing remind me of just kind of the word play that you get within this book of like playing off of things like oh these things sound the same you know and mm. uh, um, and making like like characters out of that like what would it mean if like these two things were confused with one another well you'd get a character phantom that's toll like booth, this you say. phantom toll booth yeah right. it is i highly recommend it it's short um and it is just an absolute delight of a book one of my favorite books of all time Without short, and it's an absolute delight, much like a certain (laughs) co-host of mine. Well, (laughs) when I was in fifth grade, I built my own phantom toll booth. I had a lot of fun with that. Again, we're really getting on brand with me today, aren't we? Really are. You're, you're, (laughs) yes, living up in rare form. 
Mm. <laughs> but speaking of rare form, right? Speaking mm. of rare form, I am a fucking new man lately. Oh yeah. And I'm not th this is I've said this to you numerous times over the last couple of weeks, right? Mm -hmm. I I fucking hell. I don't know if it's since the Christmas break or or what it is, or if some fucking hormonal thing has corrected itself in me or what, <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe it's the incessant darkness has brought out something well. joyous in me. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but uh well, or maybe it's some of the decisions I've made are paying off. Right. But the I, New Year's resolution to make good choices. Yeah. But look, um the 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 guy who was having the issues like three four five months ago it literally feels like a different fella I'm oh, amazing I'm really in a fucking good place at the minute and it's <clears throat> oh I adore that superb yes that's yes, fantastic yes. I love it that is. It, it feels it it feels it feels really good yeah and I feel off to a really good start as well this year mm. you know I've been taking my at least a mile a day walks usually more like three or four miles that have been beautiful really delightful at taking in the snow i've you know been listening sleeping well for me listening to albums i've only done one so far we're in week two now so i gotta pick another one last week i listened to an artist called agnes um who is some sort of northern european person and it was great and i enjoyed it it was one of those things nice. that i saw like instagram kept recommending videos on my for you page of this woman yeah, and I finally like hit one and listened to it. I was like, oh, I think I might like that, and I did. And she sells physical albums, so I think I'm probably gonna buy a couple CDs. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've I've noticed right that uh, periodically TikTok will cram an artist down your throat. Oh, really? Right. <laughs> Just every fucking four or five scrolls, you'll get some kind of you know influencer content about a particular right. artist or, you know live footage <laughs> totally organic artist. i'm sure completely you know uh last year was idols right and i quite liked idols oh before, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. before uh tiktok started assaulting me with them every few minutes and now i can't <laughs> fucking stand them. oh wow okay uh now it's chasing status right tiktok will not shut the fuck up about what is it status. chase and status there are a couple of uh what the fuck would you call it? I don't even uh, drum and bass in their early days, but it, then it's a bit more commercial uh, okay. now. Uh, and, and it's continually fucking telling me to listen to Chase and Status. And I was ambivalent towards them. And now I actively hate them. <laughs> I get it. I definitely understand that. Mm. It's a degree of shoved down your throat that breeds yes. animosity. It does because I see it. You see, I see past. Right. Yeah. That's the thing is like you're trying to manipulate me into it, and now I won't. I refuse. I'm not stupid. I'm fucking forty-five, mate. I'm not some <laughs> hunt. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of which, I just need to super quickly see if this fucking. I'm engaged. Oh my gosh. I told you this earlier on. I'm engaged currently, right now, as we speak. I'm engaged in a super petty uh, argument with an anonymous poster in my local Bista Facebook group. Uh, <laughs> and it's got, it's gone on all fucking night, and I am I will not back down. This is uh, we're such like opposites on this because oh. my reaction to things is like if someone pushes back against me on something on Facebook or whatever, I just write "hey" and a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> if you're ever on the it. receiving end of a K thumbs up from Corey, no. <laughs> Yeah, You've crossed the line. There, no more of this discussion will be had. Right. It drives people insane, though. People don't <laughs> like when you don't engage their argument. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, a, 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 a 
in much the same vein, I'm quite fond of deploying a cheeky little all the best with a thumbs up at the end of a particularly <laughs> petty post. That always does nice. as well. But nice. no, there's been nothing. So that means I've got the last word. So I win. Well, congratulations. I'm very pleased for you. Thank you very much. A hollow victory, but it's January, <laughs> folks. You got to take. Yeah, you take what you can get. Yes. Hey, uh, have you watched anything uh, so far? Um. Yes. Actually. Nice. Uh, uh, we're doing that already. Uh, okay. Let's. Uh, I was, oh, I was well, unless you had more to. Nah, not at all. I was just enjoying repost. <laughs> we can yeah. continue this this bullshitting as we discuss movies. All right. So and how such. I don't know how far back I'm going here, right? But I think. Oh shit. I think <laughs> the first movie I have to talk about is uh, the just a gentle family kind of think um what think of like what Jennifer Aniston mm. and Adam Sandler have they been in a film you know lately f- yeah or before they have haven't they oh. uh yeah I think so I don't know maybe well, n- not anything like that because oh, okay. the first thing I wanted to talk was Antichrist from my good friend and yours Lars von Trier right uh, yeah listen I I think I might be on a, on one with him I think I might be like mm. on a tip of with Lars von Trier because I, I'm really fucking enjoying it I'm really fucking enjoying his stuff okay. I really am like hugely um Antichrist I uh I I just had to I was seized because so many you know uh, I I I have a lot of people have told me never to watch Antichrist, right? Because it's fucking awful. Huh. And it is, right? It is <laughs> yeah, but why awful. would people tell you, of all people, not to watch it? <laughs> well, yeah, it told me that, oh, my God, this film disgusted me. Dr. Rob Dean, in fact. Dr. Oh. Rob Dean, erstwhile uh-huh. guest of this here fucking parish, um, saw Antichrist and, and warned me off it. Wow, okay. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. And now, some 25 years later, uh, I am disregarding that. And I've watched it's Antichrist. not and that I- old. Is it? it? Is. 2009? No. That's not 25 years ago. 25 years old. It's not. <laughs> 15 it's years ago? 15. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't get things like time. Um Right. Look, it's it's Edge Lord, right? Edge Lord City. It's yep. it's it really wants to hurt you. Um <laughs> but I I have to fucking applaud the commitment to not cutting away, you know? Mm-hmm. Not cutting away from the shot, to following through, to really, really committing to being as fucking awful as possible. And there's <laughs> look, there's a lot, there's a lot. It's it's an actual film, right? Willem Dafoe uh, and his wife. Uh, he's a therapist. Uh, his wife's an artist, I, I, if I remember rightly. And uh, an appalling tragedy happens while they're graphically having graphic penetrative intercourse. Right. <laughs> and do me a favor. I, I don't ask you this lightly. Imagine what you think Willem Dafoe's cock looks like. Well, okay. So here's the thing, though. My won't. husband brought this up, and I've oh. I've, I've read this before, um, that apparently they didn't use his actual dick they in did. it because ah, no. oh. it was too big. And uh, as Lars von Trier put it, it confused the crew. <laughs> couldn't compute what yes. well <laughs> I, I i looked at i checked this out myself obviously because okay. i wanted to know if that was willem dafoe's actual penis and okay my sources indicate that it was interesting well this is maybe it's a joke or whatever. this is the narrative that he was you know slinging in interviews <laughs> well you know it's 
it takes up the whole screen. Let's put it like that. Well, you yeah, know what I mean? It go. really fills the frame. Um, but uh, yeah, after a, after a tragedy in their lives, they retreat to a cabin uh, that they own in, in a forest and they fucking spend interminable hours go delving deep into the you know the partner's fears and insecurities and it's confrontational and it's avant-garde as you'd expect uh interspersed with you know surreal fucking nature imagery and whatnot uh, handwritten splurged title cards and just such violence such fucking relentless graphic acts of fucking self-abasement disfigurement uh just Oh, everything you want in a film, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's Never. my list right there. And all I I will just in the tradition, just like Dr. Rob Dean said to me, never watch Antichrist, right? Yeah. Never. Yeah. Four stars. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's mm. one, you know, I, I know that I would not enjoy. That's not it's see, not like, you know, House the Jack built. I'm on board, you know. Antichrist is like a. You just want like a movie of all the things you don't like to watch. You can watch that. But it, it, man, what am I fucking stumbling over here? But it's legitimate as shit. Well, that's the thing. Like, I feel like, like, because I and I, I think sometimes this gets like the wires get crossed, and I explain these things. Like, there's a difference between a bad movie and a movie I don't like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? course, and it's course, like I'm sure that like it's very good. And mm. the story is good and all that kind of stuff. But like, I don't watch things just because they're good. <laughs> I mm. like, I need to enjoy a film. Listen, <laughs> so how many that's times, why I wouldn't watch you know, them. Plenty of times, you know, I, I, can, I can I can tell when a movie is objectively good. It doesn't, doesn't mean I'm right. having fun. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, luckily, it seems like so far, Last One Trio's movies are no fun at all. But I still... <laughs> but you... you... You enjoy it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and it's go. long. And I'm not yeah. just talking about Willem Dafoe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I'm... <laughs> I was talking about his cock. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, We also together... Go on, you watched, do one. We watched a movie called Star Time uh, earlier yes. this week. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. A few days ago, Um, yeah. which I do not recall how I discovered this movie but i like that you were like every now and again you yeah, 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 you yeah. come up with a movie that i have never heard of <laughs> no idea of its existence um uh, and look uh, inversely to what i was just saying about antichrist <laughs> it, it's a movie that i feel i should have totally enjoyed on paper it's a movie that that i would be all over mm -hmm. uh, and appreciated that it was probably a really well-made little passion project of a movie but one that i wasn't uh, super into yeah i feel like there's like something you know it's like you go through like phases with movies or whatever and i oh, feel yeah. like the past couple months you're like in a different phase than you usually are with movies because i feel like we've watched a lot of things that like six months ago you would have been like, yeah, this is my jam, but like have yeah. not connected with you at all. And that, but like all of a sudden you're into Lars von Trier. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in like a different zone or like, Possibly. yeah, just different movie headspace than you normally yes. are. Possibly. Um, Possibly. But yeah, Star Time is, I think, exactly that like a, a well made little passion project on a, you know, small budget, um, 1992, uh, about a guy who, you know, is in some way mentally ill. Um, and decides Transient, when homeless, right? When his um, 
favorite television show is canceled, he decides that he is going to kill himself. But uh, in the process of doing so, a man comes along and sort of talks him out of it and gives him a purpose in life, which is murder. Mm. <laughs> murder a purpose, which in is a, that creepy... a hatchet and a creepy baby mask. Baby mask. Yeah, exactly. See, why it's... don't I like this film? Why? Why? Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't connect. I quite. Um... I mean, I think what you said while we were watching it was like we're like it's it's good and I'm not I'm not enjoying it or something like that. I don't yeah, remember exactly yeah, yeah. how you phrased it, where it's like enjoy feels like the wrong word. But at mm. the same time, like it's got this quirkiness to it. It's got this lynchiness to it. It's got this like, you know, these weird moments of humor in it, Um, you know, after this like long dark conversation about like the murders he needs to commit and stuff like that when it's decided he's going to do what he needs to do they're like yeah and like the mysterious man is like want a jelly bean <laughs> gives him mm. jelly beans like just very like like where did that come from like really weird off kilter moments like that on, um on this on this lynchiness bit right mm-hmm. everybody on letterbox says that everybody mm-hmm. said it about about that film I, it it feels like it's it's what somebody who hasn't seen many David Lynch films thinks sure, of David yeah. Lynch films like. Well, I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is when you call things Lynchian, that means so many different things to different people, I think. Like, what do you consider the essence mm. of a Lynch film? I think there's no denying this is inspired or like that, you know, it yep. takes reference from Lynch, whether Once it is, again, I would know, recommend you watch Living in Oblivion. Once again, oh yeah, it's that is on my, on my it, list. It, that entire film is 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 satirizing that kind of a pro. Right, oh, I think yeah. I'll make something Lynchian. Like <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. You know? But yeah, I think there's no, you know, this is absolutely um, inspired by that, and I think that there's yes. definitely it has characteristics that are yes. you know clearly of that. Um, and for me, I, yeah, I quite enjoyed. I enjoyed the journey, even as it's. Mm. you know yeah, um whatever it was doing i had one of those experiences where it's great watching a film with the kids and watching them enjoy Ooh. a film that you enjoyed i took nice. a risk took a risk mm. sat down with the both of them and watched megan on oh, mithrigan on Ooh, nice yes excellent yes that's sir. some good left and... column oh. order i mean it's like left, left, co- left column joining like yeah, journey yeah, yeah. into middle yeah. column or left kind of middle and for um, those who are, we haven't really described this in years. For those who are newer oh, yeah, Joe Ag listeners, this is our categorizing. That's our vernacular, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, this is our categorizing of movies. Like left column means like you could you could watch it with your kids, your your goosebumps and your gremlins Wholesome and your things spooks. like that. Wholesome spooks. Everybody is all right in the end. Nobody's yep. harmed. You don't see <laughs> right. anyone's penis, let alone Willem Dafoe. No. Exactly. Middle column, we're talking about stuff that like you could put on at a party. It's like a little more uh, intense, but like everybody's going to have a good time with a yep. a couple of tins uh, while watching it. And then you've got your right column horror, which is where your Antichrist comes in. That's like, I think that's a we're column. not here for a good time. There's another we're, column. I yeah, think, maybe, maybe there's a further column. But uh, the stuff that is not for your you know, your horror noobs or your sensitive tummies and things of that nature, your stuff that um, uh, is a little too harsh to have fun with. You probably just want to watch it alone or with a fellow horror junkie. So those are our columns. And this one, I think, yeah, firmly Mm. straddles left and middle. Megan, do you know what it 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 
was just fucking right for Owen, just nice. right. There were a couple of bits where he kind of cling, you know, clung on a little <laughs> tighter. And I enjoyed it. I personally enjoyed it more than I did first time around. It's Love it. really fucking tight. Uh, a yeah. little movie that and uh yeah more please can't wait for Mephorgan <laughs> which is coming so there is that surely it's going to be M-E-G-4-N or and I'm sure it must be please if there ain't <laughs> I'm gonna fucking take to the streets I I hope that it isn't I hope it's Mithrigan oh, 4 I'll just be to, oh, <laughs> like just two I mean because that's Mithrigan the thing it is only <laughs> Mithrigan it's like it isn't a four so you know that's <laughs> It's Mithrigan 2. Fuck you all. <laughs> yeah, up yours. Um, um, uh, another... worth... oh, Please. No, no, no. Go on. Worth no discussion at all is the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, uh, which was of no value. Where uh, does that come in the, uh, the... Oh, this was January the 1st. Um... No, 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 not... I Whoa. mean... <laughs> in the Pantheon, in the, <laughs> yes, in the Mummy... the Pantheon oh. of Mummy movies. So it's the third of Bam. the mummies, and they couldn't even get Rachel Weiss back. They recast her. Was Brendan Fraser in it? He was. Okay. Who who As plays was Rachel John Weiss? John Hanna. Um, but I, I I couldn't tell you who who played oh, uh, Rachel wow. Weiss. Give me okay. a sec. Give me a sec. You'll probably know who she is. Let's see. It was <laughs> in fact cast, cast, cast. Uh, Mario Bello. Maria Bello. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> uh, interesting. Hmm. Uh, unlike the film. Okay. Well, fair enough. I didn't even know it existed, so that probably yes, says something. Uh, this time China. There you go. That's the that's the plot. The mummy. This time China. Yep. <laughs> um. Oh man. Yeah. Also, again, you're right about this fucking phase, right? Because more and more often, it seems, I get seized. Seized is the right word as well. Because mm -hmm. when it seizes me, I got to do it. Mm. Um, uh, the Abyss had to fucking do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, all, all... Which caused me to watch it, too. Uh, oh, you did. I did. Here's... I'm just going to say, out mm. the gate, um, I loved The Abyss when I was a kid, which okay. I think is hilarious. It's a long and kind of scary movie, but what I didn't realize is the version that you put on Plex is the like extended cut. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I was like, man, I didn't remember it being three hours long. That's oh, yeah. too much. Yes, and sir. that was too much. You can see why they <laughs> cut it because it is yes too much. Break it down. You got to break it down. Too do much. It in, do but it two hours in a one hour. I can't do that with movies. Okay. If I turn it off, it's done. We're it's it's not going to happen. <laughs> But what I will say about this is that James Cameron has made one movie in his entire life. I agree. Yeah, I completely agree. Over and over again. And it is fun to watch that happen. Like he's just making different versions of the same things. He's, yeah. uh, you know, if it's underwater, he's going to have his little, you know, bubble thing that he rides in. And if it's above the water, he's going to have mech suits. <laughs> and it's always going to be about, you so know, good. the environment, some so corporation good. that is yeah. like evil and trying to take over everything. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, going to yeah. have some, you know, some sort of sort of schlocky like romance or like heart and soul sort of thing to yeah. it. Like he's like he's got a very distinct thing he's doing. And it doesn't always work in this case with the extended cut. Like 
three storylines need to be cut from it but but i appreciate that he's like the most autistic director on the oh, planet and he has me. fucking made me. his hyperfixation work for the past 40 years utterly and the best it it was thrilling to me to see because this has to have been the point where james cameron fell in love with liquid right yeah right, where you just completely felt mm-hmm. holy shit just like, i fucking so cool. love water mate yeah water is the best mm-hmm. all of it i want to go as far into water as i possibly can um uh and <laughs> it's not subtle <laughs> no not sir, it isn't even subtle. slightly I, no in particular, I draw the uh, you know I, I present to the defense uh, the bit where uh, Ed Harris is literally his life is saved by his wedding ring. His marriage right. fucking literally <laughs> catches and saves his life. Oh, yeah. come on! So also, good. like this is just one of this is the detail I always remember from when I was a kid too. Is you know he hawks the wedding ring into the toilet, reaches his hand in, and it's blue. And the rest of the movie, his hand is blue. And I always thought that was so great. Like yeah, there was great. a point where like something happened. I was like, oh God, what happened to his hand? And I was like, right, the toilet. <laughs> no, a, lesser, a, a less autistic director. Right. Would have would just have let that go. The next cut. Oh, why is his hand not blue? Because it doesn't matter. Not right. Jim. No, sir. No, sir. <laughs> you could, if he makes a sequel now, Ed Harris would still have a fucking blue hand. Oh, totally. <laughs> um, But... Uh, Michael Bean is fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. Michael Bean's mustache is fucking brilliant. <laughs> oh boy, that is a dirty mustache. Dirty mustache with a backwards beret. Mm-hmm. I don't know if in twenty twenty five or twenty twenty four the decisions with the the styling of that character would have remained the same. I don't know with a big mustache and a backwards beret. I don't know. Mm. It's coded <laughs> a little. I don't know. But um. All of which is to say, I love James Cameron and The Abyss. There you go. There you go. And I would I like to watch the regular version of it because the thing was when that ended, I was like, I loved this when I was a kid. It's a three for me now. But then when I realized that this was the extended cut, I was like, I think probably all the problems that I had with it mm. are cut if you take 30 <laughs> minutes out of this. The problem is that it's yes. like, we have so many movies here. You can't have that many death fake outs in a row. That's too much. Like, oh, the, know, like it was... the scene where they think that she's dead and they're trying to bring her back to life is heart-wrenching. I had a fucking... It I, is. I, it's I also up. too long, but like it's, uh, you know, but then to immediately follow that with the scene where you think he's dead, yeah, you're like, well, it's like, yes, come on, yes, yes, yes. Basically, everything between and spoilers for a forty year old movie here, or whatever, a thirty five year old movie, but um, everything between when Michael Bean blows up or implodes, mm. and uh, Ed Harris goes down to defuse the bomb, yeah, is unnecessary. You need nothing <laughs> in that entire section. You could cut all that whole 30 yes. minutes out and it changes nothing about the movie. I know directors who exercise self-control <laughs> in the narrative and they're all cowards. <laughs> right. <laughs> but plus, I'm not mad at it. It's just, I think, That's you know, brilliant. it came to a point where I was a little like, I, I am a little done here. It's brilliant. The entire <laughs> thing is blue. And I put I put the blue lights on while I was watching it as well. None Ooh, more nice, blue. Yeah. It was about as blue as you could possibly be. <laughs> so good. Blue his house with a blue little window. <laughs> yes, Dabba D. 
Er, <laughs> uh, let me see. All oh, right, yeah, and hey, I watched funny games last night. Ugh. Oh no 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 no! God, I hate funny games. Good shit. This is funny games US BT dubs. Yeah, I um, well, if you recall, last year I rewatched both, and I was like, uh, yeah. yeah. Fuck these movies oh. and that stupid ass Edgelord director. I hate it to the core of my being. Uh, see, <laughs> I liked it. Well, you remember, here's my thing about it. It does that thing that like annoys me more than anything else in a horror movie. And it's the thing where it like does all this like twisted bullshit and all that kind of stuff and then goes, don't you feel implicated? Ah. Yes. God, I hate that. It is you so annoying. No, I don't feel you? implicated. I'm watching ah, a movie. You made yeah. it. Own it. Yes. <laughs> That's why that, I hate funny um, games. Yes, the fourth wall <laughs> bricks are uh, unnecessary. Let's put it like mm -hmm. that. Because right. it, it has no, no fucking... Well... Uh, the the, the two purpose kids, the... is to go, don't you feel implicated? Yes, of course, of course. But I mean, the, on the boat at the end, the two kids then have a discussion about, you know, the 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 role of the protagonist in a narrative and fucking so you know, heavy matter versus antimatter. Oh. It's clunky and it's clumsy, but yeah, it feels it's the scene at the beginning of Scream Two where they mm. talk about the like, you know, the conventions of the sequel and things like that. Like that's what that is, and you know, it's funny in Scream Two to have them do that. It's like, come on. What film film school bullshit is this? When you watch it in this, yeah. like, oh, but have you considered the protagonist? Is... <laughs> like, uh... I'll take a moment to suggest that you're <laughs> Um, uh... oh, I had a point then. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm I'm shitting on it, but go ahead. I right. <laughs> yes, the guy clearly is 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 doing it on purpose, right? And I think the mm -hmm. fact that it it was so explicit, being charitable. I like to think that it was knowing. <laughs> I'd like to think that. But even if you fucking cut that, Tim Roth is brilliant. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? The, the, yeah. everybody, I have nothing against the, the acting <clears throat> in it or things. And you know I love Home Invasion, too. Oh, like it's so bleak. There's this wonderful yeah. 20 minutes where the two fuckers leave the house and you actually start to think maybe they're gone, maybe they're gone. Right. And you get this lovely kind of uh, sequence of them dealing with the aftermath of the fucking mm -hmm. horror that's been visited upon them. And they're trying to put it together and, and you think, fuck, well, surely they'd be back by now if 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 they, you know, if they were going to bring them back. Oh, there they are. JK. Yep. Uh, hey, what can I tell you? I was, I was into it. And I fucking love yeah. the soundtrack as well. Um, John Zorn. Uh, frequent collaborator of Mike Patton's um, ah. beautiful, beautiful fucking aggro fucking noise punk soundtrack. Right <laughs> my yeah, I think for me, like it, it has the things that I like, you know, I like mm. home inv invasion movies and things like that. It is simply the way that it tries to absolve itself and blame me for watching it and tries to make all these very surface level commentaries as if yeah, it's yeah, something yeah. really deep when it's not. Yes. That's you want what a nice tidy me. ending, don't you? You're not going <laughs> like, to get it. Ah, oh, like good grief! Yeah. That is that film school nonsense always angers me, and it takes away from any enjoyment that I had. Like, because honestly, I remember the first time I watched it mm. in my bedroom. Like, you know, I think it was like the middle of the day. It was just on HBO, and I was like, oh, "I'll give this a whirl." And I remember like things like when, uh, you know, they finally like shoot 
the character and you're that's like right, that's yes right. oh thank god and then he's like wait that's not right and he like picks up the remote or whatever and he like yeah. rewinds it and you start and i remember <laughs> yeah, yeah, going yeah. no <laughs> like and i was like that's like it's a cool thing to do like it's so hateful to yeah. them and to the audience and i appreciate that it's the preachiness of it that ruins the entire movie for me. Because you like, do. Where when, the... when she shoots the fucker right in the chest, you punch the air. You're like, yeah, like, oh, thank God. You mm. know, like, finally, this mm. has gone right. And for him to undo that is like just such a gut punch. And it really, it's just ruined by being a message for me. Mm. Just like, a you know, too progressive message makes something annoying. Having yeah, that, that's like, it. Uh, you know, aren't we so meta and smart? That's a messages. good point. You can't have it both ways, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose, but I do. I I do enjoy. I enjoy hearing the voice of the creator. I enjoy. That's. Mm -hmm. the, I think that's. Yeah, I think I, I just don't I, like his voice. It's like yeah. well, it makes the movie dumber when you know what the director was or the writer was thinking. You yep. know, like yep. you could have let me make my own interpretation. And it would have been a lot smarter than what you yes. just said. You could easily cut the three or four shots where he breaks a fourth wall and right. the film would be possibly better for it. Or at least, Yeah, I think it know. would be, in my mm. opinion, you know. Um, and that he felt it was so important, you need to make it twice, just doesn't help his case. Oh, is it the same guy who made them both? It's the same guy. Go on, pal. Yeah. Not fuck off, you've just completely, <laughs> I've, I've recanted everything like, I've just said. I'm so brilliant. I need yeah. to make I'm gonna this movie do it again. twice. <laughs> <laughs> the Americans might have missed it. I better do it again. <laughs> Fuck <Yeah>. you. <laughs> oh, I love that. Now we should do a third one. Fire Games UK. Or, <laughs> or fuck off. Double down. Uh, right. Don't back down. Double down. <laughs> <laughs> Funny games, North Korea. Uh, <laughs> 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 Otherwise, um, I I was in documentary mode as well uh, this this past week, um, largely because you know, and I think we'll have to talk about this at some point. I know we're about to do a wisecrack uh, related to this, but I watched the three night event of the prison confessions of Gypsy Rose Blanchard on mm. Lifetime, uh, two episodes a night. Uh, and I, every night, settled in and <laughs> turned on Lifetime and watched those, which is fascinating. Um, you know, Paul wrote on our Facebook page about this sort of like, uh, Gypsy Rose is the first sort of social media, media murderer who has everybody's sympathy essentially like largely you know we're all on her side and this is something mm. that hasn't really happened before um and it's an interesting thing to watch this girl who if you don't know um you know had her sort of internet boyfriend kill her mother uh, about a decade ago um after a lifetime of horrific abuse uh because of munchausen by proxy um and uh, now that she has been released from jail, um, she is. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because like what what now? Right. Like she can't have a normal life. Um, she's never had a normal life. This is her first day at freedom, but she are, she got married while in jail. So it's her like first real relationship that didn't end in murder mm -hmm. <laughs> in the real world. And the the series, The Prison Confession of Gypsy Rose Blanchard, is interesting because it sets up that this is going to be a reality show, um, which is fascinating. You know, they did all this stuff. They talked to her family. 
throughout this. They talk to her while she's in prison. Everything is being recorded. And, you know, you're getting sort of the story. But by the last episode, it's very much like their other shows on Lifetime, which are like life behind bars and married behind bars and things like that. Um, and it really has it's just basically a prison dating show. And at the end of it, she gets out and it sort of ends on this note where then she's suddenly kicked out of Missouri. They're like, you got to you got to get going. You got to go to Louisiana. You can't stay here overnight. You got to go. And then it's like to be continued or whatever. So like there's going to be a reality show about Gypsy Rose. And that is fascinating to mm-hmm. me. Um, yeah, it was very it was an interesting watch. And I'm very interested in how all of this plays out. <laughs> Um, and then the other thing I watched yesterday, just on a whim while scrolling through Netflix, Keo and I watched BitConned, which okay. is, oh boy, it is about these guys who um, opened up a, a scam, a Bitcoin scam, uh, in which they were said they were making a credit card that would make it so that you could use your Bitcoin in the real world. And the main guy you're following is this guy named Ray who explains like, you know, I've wanted to be a criminal my whole life, you know, Um, and he started dealing drugs, you know, straight out of high school. Uh Uh, But as soon as like someone got like they got caught, he just ratted out his friends. So he didn't get any jail time while they did. Um, And so you learn out the gate like he's a giant scumbag. Mm. His family appears to be connected even though his mother and grandmother are like, what? No, we're not in the mob. Like, it's very unconvincing. His grandmother's like, I mean, Bitcoin ATMs are a thing, aren't they? You can. Well, I think this is probably since then is the case. This is like 2017, 2018, somewhere in that vicinity. But yeah, his grandmother is like, my husband wasn't in the mob. He, uh, He did something with elevators. Like, you were married to this guy for like 60 years and you didn't, you don't know what his job was? sure lady totally wasn't in the mob but um you're following this guy as and his friends as they start this company and his friends sort of seem like they think they're going to make this legit like it started as a bit of a scam but they're like you know what this might work um but they make up their entire like website so it's like they have a fake ceo it's just a picture of some old white guy they found <laughs> on the internet they fake their nice. linkedin profiles you know they all went to harvard and you know were executives at wells fargo and all this stuff like very easily disproven stuff but people yeah, yeah. who are into Flimsy. bitcoin are e- easily scammed so nobody yeah, checks yeah. on this shit right and people are giving them all this money they're making bajillions of dollars off of this like um and essentially you're watching as like then people like the new york times and stuff get involved and are like Uh. is this real though um and the ray the main guy by the end of it it's very clear he is like a legitimate sociopath (laughs) like he even he even says of himself he's like you know i don't i i'm trying to work on the fact that i don't have empathy for other people (laughs) it's like i don't is like what other people feel like doesn't matter to me. And I know that that should matter. <laughs> um, like, so that's that's sociopath you know. shit. Mm. But that's the thing. It's like you're like, well, at least he's aware of it. And then by the end of it, you're like, yeah, but he doesn't care. He's <laughs> like he's going to continue manipulating and doing crimes. Um, it is. Yeah. Bitcoin is angering, mm. um, but interesting nonetheless. So it's only 90 minutes. Um 
yeah to the point and just makes you con like these guys are so stupid like and it just makes you realize like bitcoin is so stupid and people who are in it are so dumb and like part of the thing that they're kind of pointing out oh, here is yeah. like the thing about bitcoin is like for most of us we go i don't understand this explain to me how bitcoin and blockchain and nfts and all this kind of stuff work right and it doesn't make sense to us because it's not real it doesn't make sense my, but my, people who are into Bitcoin think that that's like proof that it's very smart. Completely. My my baseline opinion of cryptocurrency hasn't changed one whit. No, uh, it no. is it is just shit that we've invented for no yes. reason. It has. Right. I I I, I the, and yes, you know those fucking crypto evangelists will you know talk about it's in freedom from fucking fiat currency. Right. The government controls cash. But yeah, you can't do Bollocks. that. You can't invent that out of thin air. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and yeah. that's, you know, there's a stat at the end of it that was like, you know, something X billion dollars were invested into Bitcoin between, you know, these like three years or whatever. Um, and like 70% of those Bitcoin businesses that were invested in were shown to be scams afterwards. Mm. So yeah, Bitcoin is an interesting ride. There's a lovely story that, that pops up in, in the British press every now and again about a geezer uh, who threw out or or lost in the trash. The trash. Fucking what am I fucking saying? In the bin, <laughs> yeah? He accidentally binned uh, a hard drive which had like, you know, 20 Bitcoin on it when they were cheap <laughs> as fuck. And, uh, you know, for years and possibly even to this day, he is still uh, wandering around the the rubbish dump where he thinks his rubbish may have wandered up just on the off chance that these years later he will come across this drive and he's got the fucking you know the phrase to unlock it and whatever and he's he's out there you know what i mean trudging <laughs> through shite getting shit on by pigeons uh to try and one day they're gonna it. like he's gonna find it in like a box in the attic or something and it's <laughs> never gonna have been thrown out at all nice. yeah <laughs> or like bitcoin will crash and it'll be cheaper than it was when he bought it right yeah exactly but either way, uh, he's wasting his time. Yes. That's what it point. comes down to. Completely. Well, shall we right. uh, get into Listen, our main... Right. So, Corrigan. Yeah. Do me a favor. Let's just take a moment. <sighs> yeah. Right? I want you to mm -hmm. feel the ground beneath you. Mm. Okay? Yeah. I want you to feel that you are safe. Mm. Uh, because you are. Okay? Okay. Both figuratively and literally. You are you are. Nothing is going to fall off you. Okay. What you about can't... on me? No, 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 no. Oh, look, I can't tell you for sure that nothing's <laughs> going to fall on you, but nothing is exactly. likely to fall on you, right? Well, okay. Nothing is likely to fall on you right now. No, no one's going to Donnie Darko your house right now. Okay. Wouldn't it be hilarious <laughs> if right now... Right, just look, right this instant. Uh, I, d I don't doubt for a second the legitimacy of the crisis that you're currently going through. So why don't you try and sketch it out for us and tell us what's up? Well, Mark, it um, so there was I, I think I've told this this story before, but just in case I haven't, um, if, like a decade ago, uh, maybe more. I, we lived near an airport. We've always lived near an airport. <laughs> Our entire marriage, we have mm. lived around the corner from an airport. Um, this was John Wayne Airport, Santa Ana in in Orange County. John Wayne and, has an airport named after him. Yeah, we we keep trying to make that not a thing. There's a big statue wow. of him in there, but 
it is okay. what it is. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, John Wayne Airport was around the corner from our house. And uh, there was one day, you know, I'm terrified of flying. I do it all the time, but I hate it. It's uh, not a it's thing I enjoy doing. That you do it. <laughs> yeah, you I know, tried to, you, you know. Yeah, exactly. Always afraid, never a coward. That's stoned. the motto. Yeah. <laughs> don't do it stoned. No, I, d I don't trust that experience enough for that. So uh, I was, uh, Kia was driving me to the airport uh, for a flight. I don't remember where I was going, but I was going by myself. Um, and on the way, like a, a song came on and I don't remember. If, so I know a John Denver song came on, which you know, stressed me out. Very final destination mm. uh, to have John Denver come on, who famously died in a plane crash. And I can't remember if it was the same song or if it was a different song, but some song came on where the lyrics were, I'll never see her again. And I was like, I don't love that. Uh, don't don't like these this music that is coming on as we're driving this five minutes to the uh, airport. And then I get there and I'm sitting uh waiting for the plane and Keo texts me, I loved you. <laughs> Just a typo. He meant to write love, but it came out in past tense. And How I was long ago like, was this? When was this? This was probably like 2010, 2011, somewhere in that general vicinity. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I am going to die on this plane. I have gotten so many indications that I am going to die on this plane. And you know, I didn't. I'm still here. But mm. it's like it brings out every superstitious part of me. Like I hate flying so much that it overrides mm. every logical. The rational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's like, you know, in the beginning of Final Destination when, um, you know, they're walking onto the plane and Sean William Scott like kind of catalogs all the different like people on here. Like there's like a developmentally disabled guy and there's like nuns or something like that. There's like a classroom of kids and he's like, yeah, you have yeah. to be a fucked up God to crash this plane. You know, like that's like how you think, you know, when you're like terrified of flying, you kind of look around and think like, like, okay, like this plane's not going to crash. It would be terrible if a plane with like all these children died on it or whatever. My brain just goes like that, even though I know that's rationally not how it works. Mm. So this week, we had multiple things happen where it started with, you know, I was listening to last podcast on the left. Their most recent series was on the Uruguayan rugby team who crashed in the Andes and had to survive um, for months in the Andes as a result of this. Those that didn't immediately die in the crash, which was most of the people on it. Um, and so I was kind of like, you know, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon or whatever. And I'm list listening to this survival story. You know, I love those, all that kind of thing. Great. No big deal. Um, and then I will talk more in depth about this in a minute, but then we get the uh, Boeing 737 MAX 9 that yep. the door or the, you know, a big piece of the fuselage blasts yep. off of in flight, um, which is terrifying. Uh, I had a news and... alert on that story, actually, a couple of moments ago. Oh, did you? Yes. Uh, United finds loose bolts. In Boeing plane checks. And that's not the same airline. No. That's, it was Alaska. Like, yeah. Ah, ah, ah. This is, yeah, this is United Airlines. They found that's boats great. in need of, quote, additional tightening have been found. My face is so hot. Uh, I fly United pretty much exclusively. Okay. Uh, Take so a that's spanner. Fun. Um, a what? A spanner? Wrench? 
ah, okay, got it. Yep, check. We'll do that. <laughs> um, and, and then, like, right after or before that, um, Christian Oliver, who played Luca in the Babysitter's Club, uh, died in a plane crash with his two daughters, uh, which is just horribly tragic. Um, mm. And, yeah, that happened <laughs> right around the same time. And it's... <sighs> it... <ooh>, okay. <laughs> <laughs> obviously so where we're going with this is we're going to talk being jack of all graves when we find we're afraid of something and it's causing us stress we lean in yes. to it um and so we're going to talk about catastrophic failures uh, of modes of transportation yep. uh, what is what is joag rule number one you are not safe you are not safe it is right. rule number one exactly and as infinitesimally slim as the odds are of dying in a particular circumstance at a particular time, you're never safe. You're never a hundred zillion percent safe. Mm -hmm. you, even sat there where you and uh, where you're sat, where I'm sat, we know that you you know you could be that embolism that you're walking around with could just go. Hey, now well, the let's time not pop. bring that one into it. Okay, right okay, now. okay. I don't need I don't need that. <laughs> Another one. All right. That's too much. Let's not but add you that. aren't safe. That's that's yes, that's the exactly. first thing to accept, I guess, in yes. in in living a healthy outdoors life, isn't it? Yeah, precisely. So 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 let's talk about it. And and I figured a great place to start with all this is what happened this week. Um with an Alaska Airlines Boeing Boeing 737 Max 9 flying out of Portland, Oregon. The same plane, although not the same airplane, upon which I flew out of Portland, Oregon in October mm. on my flight to Los Angeles, um, or in fact, to John Wayne Airport <laughs> um, just a few months ago, because it is a plane that is meant for for short flights. So anytime you hear about the 737 MAX 9, you're talking about flights that are basically mm -hmm. under two hours. Um, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was listening to that podcast about the Uruguayan rugby team surviving the plane crash. Uh, and Ed Larson, one of the, the hosts, uh, kept reassuring another host, Henry Zabrowski, that this stuff doesn't happen on American planes, uh, especially mm. not anymore, because it's too expensive for airlines to let you die. Mm. They're going to do everything in their power to make sure you survive your flight because they don't want the headache of a plane crash. Is, you know, the 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 piece famously from Fight Club you know, whereby, you know, if, uh, let's say, a car manufacturer has a defect, they work it out, is, are the lawsuits going to cost more than the recall? Right. And if it is, they'll do the recall. Is that accurate? Well, I mean, I don't know. That's, no, no, uh, I'm thinking out loud, I guess. But that will kind of come in to something I'm going to talk about here, uh, if not that necessarily. But I do think that that calculus certainly comes into things it's i just factored. you know yeah 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 it's certainly not a thing they want you to know but i would not be surprised and i think you know there's probably lawsuits that show that that absolutely is the case again which is going to come up here mm. um so yeah you know he, he's he's reassuring him of this and then this happens right after i finish that podcast uh, and i i do a lot of things to try to make myself not panic on airplanes you know uh, amongst them it's like like for example I finally like figured out, you know, I Googled and figured out what causes turbulence, you know, and it has to do with certain geographic fe uh, features, you know, like if you're flying over mountains and things like yes. that, you know, it's causing it's basically like a bumpy road. It's an air bumpy road. And yep. so 
For example, one of the things I do is if it starts to get turbulent, I pull up the sky map and I look to see what we're flying over oh, <laughs> so nice. that I go, we're on a bumpy road. We are flying over. I can this. rationalize it. I can yep. contextualize it. Yeah, exactly. So I do like a lot of stuff like that to try to keep myself from like going into full panic mode on airplanes, because as soon as we hit a bump, like my hands get clammy and I start getting like shaky and my like adrenaline is is running through me. Um, but, you know, this was sort of an instant reminder that like, yeah, they don't want you to die on airplanes. It would be a real pain in the butt for them. But like sometimes they fuck things up. So let's talk about what happened. <laughs> a, a door plug blew off of the aforementioned Boeing 737 MAX 9 aircraft a few minutes after leaving Portland, blasting a big chunk of the fuselage into the backyard of an Oregon school teacher. Mm. Hence Oof. why something might fall on you. I live near another airport. <laughs> so just saying. Uh, this caused the cabin of the plane to depressurize, forcing the 171 passengers and six crew aboard the plane to finally get a chance to use those neat little yellow oxygen masks from the safety videos. The backyard the fuselage landed in, by the way, was in the same suburb I got married in, Cedar Hills, uh, less it's than a mile from you, my man. own it's, house. It's right? chasing you. Like, <laughs> Tony uh, Todd is going to pop up any second. I know. Right. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm totally not going to take this as a sign because I'm a grown woman who does not see superstition in my life. But <laughs> come on. Um, anyway, according to The Guardian, the plug extricating itself from the plane did so with so much force. It blew open the cockpit door and the atmosphere on board was described as chaotic. Uh, we can't fully know, though, because for some reason, the plane voice recorders only capture two hours and then they're overwritten. <laughs> Regulators are pressure are being pressured to mandate that recorders capture at least 25 hours, which seems reasonable. I agree. I completely agree. It is insane that yeah. they're just like, yeah, okay, and we're good here. Um, this didn't happen completely without warning either. As on December 7th, January 3rd, and January 4th, the auto pressurization fail light came on on the aircraft, on that aircraft. Mm. Uh, and while it's unclear if there's a connection. Come the fuck on. In each case of the light coming on, the problem had been investigated and was marked as resolved per the plane's maintenance procedure. But that feels like one of those things where it's like you look and you check the things you usually check. You don't see anything visibly wrong. And you're like, mm. guess it's fine. The lights are just going off. Uh, if whatever happened with the plug wasn't a part of the maintenance procedures, they obviously wouldn't have caught it. It's... Uh, Go ahead. I've, you know that Laura is super into air crash investigations. Yeah. She's all over this. She's been all oh, over I'm this. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yes. They've clearly disregarded, uh, you know, the, the protocol there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, they still have to investigate it, Mark, even though there was no crash. You're just like, can you like put, pull landing, out like a voice so... recorder one of these times and just like get that that <laughs> amazing commentary? I would love to hear it. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. <laughs> we should, we'll have Laura on as our, oh. our airline expert. Oh, I wonder if she would. Oh, you should ask her. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's pretty sketch uh, that though that they were concerned enough about the light coming on that they decided not to fly that model of plane on long routes over water like routes to Hawaii. And listen, if the plane is not safe enough to fly over water, it's not safe enough. No, no, no. It's there's like, a lot of water. Yeah, and, and like just think like if you're if your tire 
was like shaking on its axle, right? You wouldn't just go like, you know, I won't take it on a on a dirt road. Like you shouldn't drive it anywhere. It's broken, mm. right? <laughs> like so if the plane is broken, you just don't fly it over anything. In my opinion, <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> despite the depressurization and the chaos, in this case, everyone made it out unharmed. Uh, but they were obviously super lucky this happened, like, A, so close to takeoff and not midway through the flight. Um, and... You've seen some of the passenger videos, I guess, yes. Yes, of course. I mean, I watch the evening news most of the time. And so, yeah, there's been tons of that on there. Um, and no one was seated in the row where the window blew out, row 26. And because it was so soon after takeoff, neither the flight attendants nor any of the passengers were up and walking about the cabin yet, which is a good reminder to all of you assholes who just decide to get up and go to the bathroom as soon as the plane is off the ground that you mm. might end up getting sucked out a window. Just sit down till the seatbelt light is turned off. Get your shit together. But yes, the subverted ate what could have been a much worse disaster. You're seeing like the opposite end of me. Like earlier, you saw me like this is me at my most enthusiastic. It's great. Flying. We've had <laughs> me the at, like, my whole most, spectrum. Like, yeah, just like Jesus Christ. Mm. Can we all just do what we're supposed to do and like, you know, everything go smoothly or what here? Like, let's follow the lights. Let's all do what they were supposed to do. <sighs> Fellow flight phobic people, though, will know that this know the 736 Max name from a pair of flights that weren't as lucky as this one. In 2019, all 737 Max planes were grounded by the FAA. Because in October of 2018, an Indonesia Air 737 Max 8 plane crashed near West Java after having lost contact 13 minutes after takeoff. The plane had requested to turn to return to base and air traffic control had given them the okay before that occurred. Flight trackers recorded an increase in speed and a decrease in altitude at the time of the flight's last tra transmission. Mm. It had only reached an altitude of 5,200 feet before it crashed. The airplane sank and all 189 people on board were killed. Five months later, on March 10th, 2019, an Ethiopian Airlines Boeing 737 MAX 8 plane took off at 8.38 a.m. And one minute later, at 8.39 a.m., when it had reached an altitude of just 450 feet off the ground, it took a nosedive. Mm. The first officer radioed in a flight control problem. The captain attempted to correct the flight path, with one pilot saying to the other, pitch up, pitch up, before the transmission went dead. The flight smashed into the ground, killing 160 people. The cause of the crash? Erroneous sensor information causing the stall prevention system to force the nose of the plane downward. It would later be found that a similar error had caused the Indonesia air crash, a failure in the Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System, or MCAS. I'm just going to read for you from the Seattle Times what MCAS was and why it was fucking irresponsible in the first place, because this is mm. bonkers. So extensive interviews with people involved with the program and a review of proprietary documents show how Boeing originally designed MCAS as a simple solution with a narrow scope, then altered it late in the plane's development to expand its power and purpose. Still, a safety analysis led by Boeing concluded there would be little risk in the event of an MCAS failure, in part because of an FAA-approved assumption, assumption, that pilots would respond to an unexpected activation in a mere three seconds. 
The revised design allowed MCAS to trigger on the inputs of a single sensor instead of two factors considered in the original plan. Boeing engineers considered that lack of redundancy acceptable according to proprietary information reviewed by the Seattle Times because they calculated the probability of a hazardous MCAS malfunction to be virtually inconceivable. Mm. And that's, bo- that's, that's it, isn't it? The probability. Right. You can't, you they can't did factor it in. unsinkable ship shit There you here. go. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. You can't, you can't, like I said, you're, you're not safe. You can't factor yeah. in. Uh, it's an unreal thing to say yeah. like, yeah, that simply won't happen. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> As Boeing and the FAA advanced the 737 MAX toward production, they limited the scrutiny and testing of the MCAS design. Then they agreed not to inform pilots about MCAS in manuals, even though Boeing's safety analysis expected pilots to be the primary backstop in the event the system went haywire. So basically, this system was supposed to correct a problem with the nose of the plane pitching upward during a particular extreme maneuver. MCAS would counteract the problem by pushing the nose down. And if for some reason this malfunction... They were like, it's fine. The pilot will sort it real quick. But they didn't we don't tell need the any fail safes for this. And then they, they didn't be tell the pilots. Now, yes. I am not an aviation engineer. I am not. I'm not. I have no background sure. in aircraft mm-hmm. control. I've, I've, I've won to no courses. But there's a there's a point of failure there. Right. I yeah. I think we I can, can see. Co- we can see where maybe hmm. maybe we we would have done things differently. You know. Yeah. 346 people died because they tried to fix a problem, which created a different problem, implemented no fail safes, and didn't train pilots on how to fix a problem if one occurred because they thought it was inconceivable. This whole thing led to a criminal case against Boeing, and according to PBS Frontline, quote, as Boeing's fatal flaw recounts, congressional investigators found internal documents showing that after Boeing realized the impact MCAS would have on pilot training and FAA certification, some Boeing employees suggested removing all references to MCAS from training manuals. Boeing's employees chose the path of profit over candor, candor by concealing material information from the FAA concerning the operation of its 737 MAX airplane and engaging in an effort to cover up their deception, said David P. Burns, the acting assistant attorney general of the DOJ's criminal division. All of that is horrific. Horrific. But I'm going to try and pull you out of this. Okay. I'm going to, much like MCAS, I'm going to try and counterbalance your crisis. Can you? That'd be great. With another crisis in a different part of of, (laughs) of life. See, okay. It isn't, it isn't, it isn't just planes, right? Every fucking mode of transport you could choose to take. at some, you know, you can't, you can't fucking insure against every single potential disaster. True. What, yeah. what, what, what would you think would be the most safe and completely fucking foolproof and non-fatality <laughs> causing mode of transport you could consider? You could think of staying home. Right, doesn't count. Not <laughs> okay. a mode of transport to to convey you from one area to another. What do you think? I mean, obviously, nothing's foolproof. What would no. be the least deadly? Yeah. What, what do you think? What 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 were you least likely to have a crisis about? Uh, Take an train. elevator, a for train. example. Oh a no, train. I hate elevators. Do you? <laughs> no. Yeah, I do not like elevators. If something is like is less than ten floors up, I walk. 
<laughs> interesting well yeah. you certainly will in a bit um oh, great but take trains for example right uh yeah. the, the way that the way that risk in transport is calculated seems to be in uh fatality rates per billion passenger kilometers right okay so or per per billion kilometers traveled by train by passengers mm. in the uk the fatality rate is naught point naught six that's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of fatality that rate I like. Point. That's that's fucking brilliant. That's that's you know a fraction of a fraction of a percent per, per billion, billion. <laughs> per billion kilometers. Uh, right? right. So so think on now. That's fatalities of passengers. This the the fatality the death by suicide rate in rail. Oh yeah, is... yep. That's a whole other Ooh. thing. So for yep. example, um, twenty twenty two, the year twenty twenty two to twenty three, right? Um, uh, we have 20 fatalities per billion miles, right? Per billion miles traveled. Mm -hmm. It's 236 fatalities by suicide per billion. Wow. I mean, there was like, my friend was in, in London, well, and got, had gone up to Manchester, um, mm. like two days after Christmas and mm. got stuck in Manchester because of exactly that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, you often, there are documentaries about it. You often hear of it happening. Thank fucking Christ, I've never been in the vicinity of what happening. But it's even horrific. that, even so, right, you still can't insure against just dickheadery. Mm. Um, uh, well, one such example, right? I'll talk to you about uh, a, a, a train accident that happened in Spain in 2013, right? Uh, near the city of Santiago de Compostela in uh, Galicia. Oh, like the, that's the the walk, right? That's where yes. they go on the, the walk. Indeed, indeed. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, during a, a very, very routine journey, the train hit a curve at twice the fucking speed that it ought to be at. Jesus right? Christ. Um, about 118 miles per hour when it uh, entered the curve. The train derailed. Um, 79 people died, 143 injuries. We are talking causes of death, uh, blunt force trauma, being thrown around in the carriage, people piling into each other, people crashing into a concrete wall beside the track. It was a complete clusterfuck. Louise. Do you know what caused it? Do you know why that train was going as fast as it did? Was the was the guy texting? Nope. <laughs> why? He was just being a dick. Oh, he just decided right? to go fast. Yes. The driver fucking survived, right? Of course. Uh, and he admitted to, quote, excessive speed, possibly due to a momentary lapse in attention. He wasn't drunk. Yep. He wasn't high. He wasn't getting... Just spaced out. Cock sucked. He wasn't eating pickles. He he just he just got it wrong. Mm. Jeez, and how, please. how do you ensure against that? Yeah, that's one of those things where it's like, un, you know, like you said, like trains aren't like hugely dangerous most of the time, but they are driven by people. And you do see that happen from time to time, like, you know, yes. horrific crashes. And it's like someone was texting or was unfocused yes. or whatever the case may be, you know. So what I guess I'm saying is. Have a crisis about planes, by all means, but if you're <laughs> going to have a crisis about planes, You've got to have a crisis about a load. No, of this is the well. wrong direction, Mark. We're we're going the wrong way. Am I helping? No, because I will be on trains. Okay, <laughs> all right, but you you don't like to get you don't like to get the lift then, though. No, I, I do not like the lift. 
even safer, even goddamn safer. In fact, um, most lift fatalities uh, seem to occur at construction sites, right? Mm. Uh, that makes sense. All, you know, if you look at the 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 top elevator fatalities, they're all uh, methane gas explosion in a mine in Africa, 62 dead, 987. Um, uh, construction site, 100 meter drop in Wuhan, 19 Ooh. dead. Uh, mine shaft elevator in, in, in Lee, in fact, uh, Leon C in England, 19 dead. All construction based, right? Mm. Except, except. What if I, what would you suggest? What would you guess if I were to ask you what was the worst elevator fatality incident of all time? <laughs> well, there's that one that um, haunts me all the time and is one of the many reasons that I don't go on cruise ships where the maintenance guy got crushed to death and then his blood ran down the outside of the elevator oh, and a, pooled on the just floor. Just the aesthetics of that are bang on, aren't they? <laughs> it's like very horror movie. But no, what's the what's the worst? In terms of numbers? Well, at 8.46 a.m. on September the 11th, 2001. Oh, okay. A fucking plane wanged itself into the World Trade Center, of course. Yep. Yes, that did that did occur. I recall. Do you remember that? Uh, I it, remember it that. Made, it made the kind of local news. Mm -hmm. Blink and you miss it. Um, that caused the most deaths in a lift ever, ever, ever. When that flight when one five seven struck the building, fucking jet fuel went down lift shafts. Oh no! Uh, flame spread. But this is what blows my mind about this, right? Uh, some two hundred people died in in elevators during during nine eleven. To those people in that elevator or those elevators, 9-11 never happened. They didn't fucking know what was going on. Well, yes. I mean, same with the people who were in the floors that got hit by oh, the Well, yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but that, that. They had that, a whole different disaster than everybody else did. Exactly. They had a completely different perspective on things. They didn't, they wouldn't have seen the news. They wouldn't have seen the fucking planes. They wouldn't have, you know. The the heartrending kind of images of people standing at the gaping fucking hole in the in the plane waving their fucking shirts around the you know the 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 nine one one calls etc. Right. None of that for those people in the lifts. Yeah. You know, and and that I don't know that there's there's something there's something very interesting to me about that. The perspective of those people totally different to yeah. everybody else who died. A very a very kind of a, 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 an untold kind of angle to the story. Yeah, I'd certainly never heard about that. But I've I mean, similarly, that's always been a thing that I've thought about with like the people who initially, yeah, were on the, you know, 88th floor or whatever when the mm. planes hit, like, you know, they just died and they yep. had no concept uh, of what was happening. Even the ones who were like, you know, the the plane that was hijacked that um, the passengers brought down to prevent it. Yes. Uh, in you know Pennsylvania or wherever it went down, like they had I no idea they were part of a bigger thing going on either. I sometimes think if Wesley Snipes had been on one of those planes, it might have been a very different. <laughs> well, we all story. know that Mark Wahlberg would have stopped it. You know? <laughs> Fucking right. <laughs> uh, look, maybe this is misguided. Maybe I'm coming about this wrong, but I'm trying to drag you out of the crisis by telling you. Don't pick and choose your crises, Corey. It's either all or nothing. You either have a crisis mm. about every fucking mode of transport around. Or you just chill. What's it going to be now? What's it going to be? I don't. I don't know, Mark. I'm not sure. Okay, we'll think on. <laughs> I may. I may do the second one. I might just have a crisis about about all all of them. Well, <laughs> just pick I mean, that does, and stick to it. 
uh, occasionally I do get into that zone where I where I start spiraling on that. Like everything is is dangerous. You know, you drive your car statistically or much more because you're in your car a lot more and, you know, mm. other people and all that kind of stuff. You're much more likely to die in your car than yes. in a plane. But, you know, to, to sort of go about your daily life, you can't be constantly in the position of thinking about the fact that, you know, you're the thing that gets you everywhere is, is going to kill you. Or the fact that, like, I walk most yes. places and I almost get hit by cars uh, every other day. <laughs> well, if we're talking private modes of transport, would you care to take a stab at what is the highest uh, death rate per billion kilometers? Is it not cars? Nope. Bicycles. Motorbikes. Oh, okay. Yep. Motorbikes. I can definitely it, see that as someone who lives outside of New York City. Yes. So if you take trains, for example, like I said, 0.6% per billion passenger kilometers. Sorry, 0.6 Point fatalities. Zero. Six. 0. 0. 0.06 fatalities per billion passenger kilometers. Right. Uh, motorcycles, 122. What? Which, oh, yeah. Which per billion, per, per billion passenger kilometers. That's 122 yeah. deaths per billion kilometers, which when you put it up against trains, mm -hmm. uh, push bikes, kind of, you know, non-motor bikes is 30 per billion passenger kilometers. Motorcycles, 122 deaths. Actual, not 1.22 deaths. 122, 122. deaths. What about which... cars? Ooh, what about cars? Let me see. Just curious how that compares to a motorcycle. Uh, cars. Uh, less than a one percent chance of dying in a car in the UK. Fascinating. Uh, yes. Although I bet that's probably a lot more here because you guys drive less than me too. Yes, yes, we do. Um, one in twenty thousand risk of dying in a road accident in any given year in the UK. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. But I mean, I, I'm a. I stick with my trains. Listen, you've driven that. with me. I know, right? The statistics have to be much higher than you know that. What I'm saying? Don't think I haven't thought about it, Mark. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure if I feel any better. I'm, better. You know, what? I think I do. I think I needed to get oh. it out. I think I needed to. I think I needed to just feel heard about it. I hear. And now you. I feel we less like you. I'm going to get Donnie Darkoed, and I feel a little less like I'm going to get sucked out of a plane window. But I don't, I don't, United uses a lot of 737 Maxes and Listen, I'm on we, them all the time. If, if you, if we want to end this on a, on a puerile and childishly hilarious note, we mm. did discuss this story at the dinner table here in the Lewis household the other night. Okay. And uh, I can't, it was either, it was Owen or Peter. I can't remember which. They said, oh, what would it like to, what, what would it be like to get sucked off a plane? Uh and I, you know, that led to me going, <laughs> the last thing you want to do is get sucked off on a plane. And it was, you know, <laughs> hilarity ensued. Did I am just imagining when you say hilarity ensued, your kids had no idea what you're talking about. And, and your I wife pissed myself and you. choked on a, on a chip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, Mark. <laughs> ah. I, I appreciate that. Ah. Friends. I don't know. Am I crazy? Do I need to do I need to comment that? Do you have any statistics or stories that would uh, change my mind? Do you have any statistics or stories that validate my fear? What are you terrified of public transportation wise? Um, or how do you overcome it? Were you terrified of planes and you figured yes. out a foolproof way to get over it? Nice. Please share it. Um, you know, and 
don't get sucked out of a plane mm-hmm. and don't get stuck in ice in the Arctic. Nope. And just generally, you know, don't eat lead. Don't eat lead. Um, I think listen those to are the Inuits. Much are... Yeah, listen to the Inuits. If we, if they you take anything know... away from this episode, yes. listen to the Inuits. They know what they're talking about. Amen. Oh, and Ooh. stay spooky this year. That's the one.